grass withers, flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. We're here this morning studying the word of God. We are studying on witnessing, which is an interesting topic. We're actually pretty close to the end. I don't know if we're going to finish today or not on our study on witnessing. I'm not actually in charge of that. The Holy Spirit is. But we'll see how we do today. If we finish up today, then we have our next couple of Sundays, we have a business meeting on uh, next Sunday. And then the following one, we have a, a missionary report. And so after that, we will actually begin our study on, we're actually going to go through and look at A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which is a hymn. And we're going to look at all the wonderful things that are in that hymn. hymn. We're going to, so we're going to go through that uh, following that and then have a study on a brief review of eschatology before we begin our Life of Christ study. Um, let me make sure that I did get that recording started properly. I did. So we should be good to go. Before we uh, dive into our study, let's take a moment to make sure that we're properly prepared. We'll take a moment of silent prayer to uh, confess sins if necessary, but also to humble ourselves so that we are teachable, shall we pray. Most gracious and merciful and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for blessing us with this opportunity to still, even though that we're on travel, on vacations, to still have the opportunity to spend this time looking at the truth of your word and have our souls nourished. And we ask that you would bless this time. Each and every one of us would be able to focus our attention and learn what we need to learn this morning as we study these things. And we pray all of these things in Jesus Christ's most precious and beautiful name. Amen. All right. Well, I am going to turn here to a section. We're going to do a little bit of a review, uh, but I want to kind of preface this before we do with talking about just kind of what we've been doing in this study on witnessing. We've talked about a lot of different things in terms of how to witness to others. And the basic concept, of course, of witnessing is that sharing our faith. Uh, we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've trusted in him for our salvation. And part of what we're given to do as believers is we've been called to a life where we are ambassadors for Christ. And that idea of being an ambassador is that you're in a foreign country, but you're representing your country, right? And that's, we are, we are actually foreigners here now, whether our, our citizenship is in heaven and we're here on this earth, but we're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ. So the idea is that we would share the message of Christ with others. And so that's what witnessing is all about. I mean, if you think about, I want to kind of touch on, if you think about our calling in general, uh, our calling We've been called by God to a life, and what a calling is is an invitation. You want to think of that as an invitation. We've been invited by God to enjoy a life that he's designed for us to have. So as Christians, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, and again, that's the only thing required for salvation is trusting in him for your salvation. A lot of people try to complicate salvation and add works and do other things to it. And In fact, when we talk about the Galatians passage, we're going to get into that because that's what the Judaizers were doing. And a lot of people try to make it complicated. It's really a, it's really a simple thing. You, you believe in Jesus and you trust in him as your savior. And that's, that's what is required in order to be born again and have eternal life. But now as believers, we've been called to a life where we are supposed to be able to enjoy the blessings which God has provided. And in, in that process, he's also called us in, in multiple ways. He's invited us in multiple ways. He has invited us to walk in a, in a worthy manner. So what that means is in our lives, we are to 
carry out our lives in such a way that is pleasing in his sight, you know, a worthy manner. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ, as I've been talking about in this witnessing study. But when you think about walking in a worthy manner, it's interesting because, you know, God doesn't, God doesn't say, okay, now that you're my child, uh, you need to, you need to throw away this or that or the other thing. For example, uh, I like to play golf and on vacation, I'm going to play golf. Well, the Bible doesn't say, okay, now that you're a believer, you have to quit playing golf. It doesn't say that. Um, Pastor Bob Bolander at Austin Bible Church, he loves to play Scrabble. Uh, he's not committing a sin. He's not violating the call of God by playing Scrabble. But having said that, when I play golf, when Pastor Bob plays Scrabble, when we do all of these things, we are to do them in a way that should be pleasing in God's sight. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. I mean, if you think about the Christian life, it's not like it's a, well, okay, I, I have 30 minutes here and I'm going to live my Christian life and then I have the rest of the day. Or Sunday, a lot of people, it's kind of this idea of I have Sunday morning and that's my Christian life and then I have the rest of my week. It's really supposed to be 24-7. You're supposed to be living that life 24-7. And the idea is not that it's some sort, of, some sort of a punishment. It's actually the opposite. Because as you're doing that, it actually is quite the blessing to carry out whatever you do in such a way that it's pleasing in God's sight, honoring to our Lord and Savior. I mean, if you think about it, it's really kind of a cool life that God has called us to. So we shouldn't think of it as, oh, boy, now that I'm a believer, everything gets more difficult. No, well, I mean, we certainly face difficulties. I don't mean to indicate that believers are somehow free from difficulty. We all face difficulties. But it's not like we're under some sort of punishment because we're believers. We have actually been called to an amazing life. And, again, part of that is to share the message of Christ. We've gone through all kinds of different scenarios. We've talked about different situations, people who had uh, lost loved ones, People who, uh, people who, uh, uh, don't even recognize God at all, you know, different, all, we went through a whole bunch of different scenarios of how you can approach witnessing in those different uh, ways. We saw some common threads and all of that. Like one of the things that's powerful in witnessing is praying, praying for the people that are you're witnessing to, uh, praying for yourself to have the right words to say, uh, so on and so forth. So there's a lot involved in that process, but, um, as we, as we uh, approach witnessing, we need to understand that different situations call for different approaches, right? So you don't want to think of it as I've got a template and this is how I witness every time. If you do that, you're going to be, you're going to have a hard time with it. Let me put it that way. So better thing is to have sort of some ideas and some approaches in your mind. And then when you are working with someone or talking to someone about, about Christ, you figure out Again, under the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you figure out, okay, what do I think is the best way to approach this, right? You don't, in other words, you just don't throw, well, now I need to say this or now I need to say that. No, it's not like that. It's more that you, you're actually having a, a, listen to what they say, by the way. That's a big part of it, right? If you're just, if you just have your agenda of what you're going to say and you don't listen to what they're going to say, then, then you're not really witnessing like you should. You should listen to what they say. And we went through all of that. We talked about all of that sort of thing. And then now we, we got into a new section here where we're talking about, okay, well, now what if somebody has believed? Whether we were part of leading them to Christ or whether somebody else did, either way, now we got a brand new baby believer. And we talked about a number of things. The first thing we talked about was assuring them of their salvation. Very important because there's a lot of confusion in that regard. Help them understand that they are saved and they can, they can be confident in that. And then we talked about the spiritual toolbox. Very important teaching people about the spiritual toolbox because as baby believers, they don't know, right? How many baby believers really understand the, the power of prayer? 
how many baby believers, how many baby believers understand um, confession and walking by means of the spirit? How many baby believers know about faith rest? None, right? So there's all these beautiful things that God has given us as believers. And one of the things you can do to help them is to, is to start to help them understand those things, right? To help them, help them have an understanding of those things. And then, so after we talk about all that, then this is the third thing we came to, which is helping believers find a new church. And we, uh, we began to talk about that. Sorry, I went one too far there. Hang on. My computer's not cooperating with me. There we go. Uh, helping believers find a new church, because that's pretty important. Now, uh, you know, you can certainly be, uh, be somebody who comes alongside a new believer. But in the reality, somebody who's a brand new believer, they need to be somewhere in a local church where they can have the fellowship of the saints, where they can be under a shepherd that's caring for their souls and so on. And we talked about this before. This is review. One of the most important things to discuss with a new believer is finding a church where they can fellowship with other believers and start growing spiritually. And that the church they look for should, first of all, believe that salvation is uh, by faith alone and Christ alone. Again, there's a lot of confusion out in the world about salvation. And the reality is what the scriptures teach is faith alone in Christ alone. And you trust in him as your savior. And if you do, then you're a born again believer in Jesus Christ. Then this is very important. The second item believes that the Bible is the inspired inerrant word of God. If there, if you have a church that does not believe that, then that's, you should run away from that church because that, and, and I say that it's interesting that has become prevalent in evangelical churches. So if your church does not believe in the, in the inerrant, uh, inspired word of God, then you should find another church. Um, has leaders who are spiritually mature. Now, that's the ideal scenario, right? If you have leaders of the church that are mature in their faith, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what you want to look for because then those are, those are leaders who are going to be help, helpful in terms of nurturing you in your spiritual life. Uh, congregation that displays genuine love for others. And I, I've said it more than once. I'll keep saying it. One of the things that I look at in terms of our congregation that is a marker of a, of a group of believers that are growing in their faith is that when people walk in the door of our church, they immediately can sense the love of Christ. I mean, that's an important thing, right? That's immediate. Um, the church needs to be committed to helping believers grow spiritually and serve others. Those are important. Those are two things. Uh, you don't want to see a church that's all about going out and serving and not spiritual growth. You don't want to see a church that's all about spiritual growth, but not go, but not about going out and serving. Both of those are important because the scripture emphasizes both of those. So the believers, the church should be emphasizing believers' growth and service. Uh, and then correctly teaches church, church age doctrine, doctrines, water baptism, communion, grace orientation, etc. I mean, as an example, I mean, uh, I mentioned this before, the difference between Israel and the church, all of that needs to be important, right? Israel is not the church and the church is not Israel. And you need to understand the difference between those two. Uh, but you need to also understand what is important for us today as church age believers. Um, it's perfectly fine to invite them to your own church. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. But they may not want to come to your church for some reason. But don't, and don't be offended by that. That's okay. Uh, but you need to be prepared in that situation to recommend another church that meets those qualifications. Uh, and encourage them to focus on building a spiritual foundation first before getting involved in, in activities. That's, a, I think, a lot of the mistakes that, and, and we could sit around if we wanted to, and we could name some churches, for example, in the Bastrop area, we could name some churches that do this, where their big thing is getting people out and busy in activities. And the first thing you need to do is build yourself a spiritual foundation so you're ready for all of that. Uh, 
so I really think that's important. And then uh, continually encourage them to grow spiritually. Even if they find a church and they're part of a church, you, as someone who can come alongside, you can continue to encourage them to grow. And then we talked about making understand, making sure that new believers understand the purpose of water baptism, because there's a lot of confusion about this. Um, when believers are baptized, it's a testimony. They're testifying to the reality of their their salvation. They're, this is a big part of it that people don't understand. When you when you go get baptized, you're basically telling the world publicly, you're telling the world, I intend to be a, a true disciple of Christ. And a lot of people get mixed up on what that means. A disciple is a student slash follower. Right? You're a student of Christ. You're a follower of Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. And by getting baptized, you're basically saying, not only am I a believer, you're announcing that you're a believer, but you're also announcing, I'm going to actually follow Christ, learn from him. Uh, it also provides an illustration of the gospel. We do immersion in baptism. It, it provides an illustration of the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection is illustrated in the in the baptism itself, and uh, that's a, an illustration for any unbelievers who attend. Now, that's we had a, our last baptism. We had 13, I think, that got baptized, and there were a lot of people there witnessing it. So we were able to talk about that and be a witness during that process. But it's important that the last point is extremely important. Water baptism is not a requirement for salvation. That's the biggest confusion that you will hear out there is that people will say you have to be water baptized. You do not have to be water baptized. It is for believers. Water baptism is for believers, and it's, it's something that they can use to illustrate their faith. Then we, we got into some further steps. Uh, collectively, as a church, we should want to be an effective witness. Uh, as, a, as a church, we should have a burden for under, unbelievers, praying for them, treating them in grace and love, right? Even if, even if you may not like the lifestyle they're living or whatever else, you don't support the lifestyle, but you, you, can, be, you can still be gracious and loving. Um, you know, you can, you, can make, you can make it clear your position. By the way, in the, in the context of that, you can make it clear your position that you don't approve of. Of activities. I mean, like if somebody, if he, I, I can give multiple examples. Somebody is, has a wild gambling addiction, right? You can still be gracious and loving toward that person, but you can make it clear. I don't think that's healthy to have that kind of an addiction, right? So whatever they might be doing that you don't approve of, um, you know, you, you can be clear about that while still be gracious uh, and loving. Uh, and then we should be trained to talk to others about Christ. Uh, that, of course, we're doing that in this Whitney study. That's part of the purpose. Oh, man, I went one too far. Sorry. Uh, we must realize that Bible study is not an end in, uh, an end in and of itself, but a means by which we are equipped to serve God and carry out the mission. In other words, I, part of the reason I mention this is because I've been around believers that they were of the opinion that going to church and learning about the Bible, that was their, that was their service. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that going to church and learning about the Bible is to be equipped for the work of service. So that's just the equipping. That's what's going on when we learn about when we learn about God, when we learn about Jesus, when we learn about uh, all these things. We are being equipped for the work of service. And so, uh, as we grow in the faith, we're supposed to be interested in carrying out the mission of the church. And one of the things that we know is given in that is to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and so on. Where and it, by the way, that passage should be translated as you go, wherever you go. Because if you read it in the, if you read it in the, in the, let's see if I can find it. It's in Matthew. 
Somebody could probably tell me where it is. Oh, I can't type. Sorry about that. Um, here it is in Matthew 28:19. It see how the translation is done here. It says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations." It sounds like a command, doesn't it? In reality, it's not. It, what that really says, the, the what it should be, how it should be translated, is as you go, wherever you go. In other words, as you live out your life, wherever you are, whatever you're doing in your life, uh, make disciples of all the nations. So in other words, be a witness uh, wherever you go, be a witness. But making a disciple, as we've noted in the study, is more than just leading somebody to Christ. You're actually leading part of the giving them the gospel and having them come to Christ, but then helping them to truly be a disciple of Christ is the next step, right? Not just born again but a follower of Christ, and those are two different things. Again, I'm going through this rapidly because this is, uh, this is review. Um, individually, we should develop a personal testimony. If you look at the Psalms, David and other writers of the Psalms have, were open about declaring what the Lord had done for them, and that's very important. Uh, if, we, if we talk about our own personal testimony, it's a powerful way to talk to people about Christ because if, if I if I open my Bible, and I believe the Bible is a powerful way, right? You open your Bible and you show them something from the scriptures. But what is also very powerful is telling them about how God has been at work in your life. I've seen God do this for me. I've seen God do this for me. I've seen God do this for me. And if you talk about those things, it's, it's something, how can they refute that? If you, could, if you can look at what God has done, they can't really refute it. So your personal testimony is really powerful. Uh, and then we talked about what is an effective testimony. If, it's clear. You want to make sure you're clear. Don't make it complicated. That's very important. You make it complicated. It's not going to do anything but get them confused. Um, uses terms unbelievers can understand. Like I talked about, the one I used was don't start take saying, well, Jesus is our propitiation. What, is, what does propitiation mean? I can talk to a lot, of, a lot of believers that are mature in their faith that don't know what the word propitiation means. So don't throw out terms they can't understand. Uh, use the Bible when you can, right? But don't try to teach the whole thing, right? I mean, don't open up your Bible and say, well, let me tell you about Enoch and the fact that he didn't die. He actually got, don't, I mean, don't, don't get into all of that. Uh, talk about what they really need to understand and not, not, don't get tied up in all of that. Don't, and again, like I, my other example I use is don't turn and open up Revelation chapter eight and try to explain that to them. I mean, yeah, good luck with that anyway, right? But, uh, that's, that, don't do that. You don't need to teach them the whole thing. And I pointed out this thing about a strong opening statement. That's really not, not meant to be like salesmanship. It's the idea that when you talk to somebody, if, if you see an open door and you have an opportunity to talk to somebody about Christ, you want to start with something that's pretty powerful. And that could be anything. It could be something as simple as, you know, it's just, it's just amazing in my life to be able to know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. That's a good opening statement, right? And then you can go from there, whatever it is. And again, the situation may call for different things. Includes personal accounts, as we talked about, of God's working in your life. Finishes with a clear gospel message about faith in Christ. Uh, and is relatively short, so as not to be tedious. Uh, one of the things that uh, we all get into, right, when we talk about things, because, you know, I've said it before, I have the gift of gab. We can talk about things, and you can end up, you can end up getting so verbose with things that people stop listening. That's the worst thing, and that's why another reason, by the way, is very important in the process of giving the gospel, I believe, to ask questions. 
Because if I just ramble on, like I'm looking around the room here and half of them are about ready to fall asleep, but I'm kidding. <laughs> but if I ramble on too much, right, you're going to start to kind of just zone out. But if questions get asked in the process of an out, all of a sudden, wait a minute, I got to think. I got to think and I got to answer the questions. So you can keep people's attention on what's going on by asking them questions. So in the process, for example, if you're telling them about something, you can say, what do you think this means? And you can bring something up and you can get them to engage and talk to you about it. But you still don't want it to go on and on and on uh, because that's going to that's going to be tiresome. And you always want to do it in the spirit of love. I mean, we have, it's interesting. If you look at the message um, in the New Testament, we have tons of it in the Old Testament in terms of God's loving kindness, the love that was shown through his children and so on and so forth. And in, in, in the New Testament, you have John. And he's called the apostle of love. And if you look at his writings, he talks about love a lot. But I, I promise you, if you open up and you study Paul's writings, he talks about love a lot. And so it's very important. And so I think it's a, a really important thing for us as believers to, to operate in love, in the spirit of love. I mean, okay. agape love, yeah, uh, sacrificial integrity love, where you're communicating things. And, and you know, you can deliver, uh, I mean, as a pastor, I try to always speak in love, and, and sometimes what we speak of is actually a rebuke. You know, a rebuke can actually be given in love, but you should always deliver whatever you're going to do in the spirit of love. This is new material, structuring your own personal testimony. And as I talked about last Sunday, you don't have to have a fixed way, but the idea is that you've already thought about these things. That's the key, right? You've already thought about some of these things. A well-structured testimony tells three things. First of all, where you were in your life before you came to faith in Christ, right? You think about it, if you, you, you can tell a lot uh, about your own life and your salvation when you describe, here's where I was before I came to faith in Jesus Christ. This is how I thought about things. This is uh, what it was like. Uh, how you came to understand the gospel and trust Christ. I've talked about that quite a bit. I was 17. Uh, I was witness to, uh, I actually listened to real to real tapes uh, and heard the gospel and uh, and was lying in my bed uh, after about three weeks of chewing on all of that, I was lying in my bed and I came to faith in Christ and I rolled over and I went to sleep. And that's the story of my, my uh, salvation. But you should be able to talk about that. Now, you may, you may not remember the exact moment and that's okay. But you can still talk about, you know, uh, so-and-so talked to me about Christ, and this person talked to me about Christ, and my mom talked to me about Christ, whatever it is, right? You can tell a story, you know, and then you can talk to them about at some point I came to faith. And then and the difference he has made in your life since you became a believer. We've emphasized that several times this morning, right? That because that's important, right, to talk to people about why your life is better uh, now that you are a born-again believer. And you shouldn't phrase it in, in the standpoint of a prosperity gospel where now that I believe I don't have any problems, I'm rich, I have three cars, I have, that's, not, that's not real, and that's not a good testimony. A good testimony, though, is, you know what, now problems come my way, and I don't just go off the deep end anymore. Now I'm calm. Now I, I, I have a chance to relax and think about it and pray to God and ask him to help me understand it more. And I can even do that in work. I've talked about that in my own, you know, secular job. I encounter some sort of problem. I'm not sure how to solve it. I'll ask the Lord to help me with that. Sure enough, it, it pretty much never fails that I get the answer uh, in a short period of time. So talk about the difference he's made in your life since you became a believer. That's very important. Oh, you're going to have problems all day. That's right. You'll have problems all day. 
and and every day, right? All day, every day. It's just a matter of whether it's a matter of how how difficult are the problems. I mean, that's really what life is all about: is one problem after another. In a way, if you think about it, I mean, something as simple as the uh, you don't have an ingredient for the for the thing you're trying to cook to uh, <laughs> to your car won't start to you know I mean it can get you know it can go it can run the gamut we all run into problems right uh, after listening to your testimony listeners should clearly understand how to trust in Jesus Christ alone as Savior that's important right if you give a testimony in the process of that they should have they should have a clear understanding of what it means to be saved and how they can trust in Christ as their Savior and Him alone. So you don't want to mud it. The point is you don't want to get it all muddled. You don't want to give the testimony in such a way that they're, they're, they're at the end of that going, well, that's really an interesting story, but what does that mean to me, right? They should know, okay, here's what you're really talking about. You can use illustrations, right, in personal evangelism. Uh, every presentation of the gospel should include the, the reality of sin. That's a big one, uh, especially in our world today, because our world today is is trying to deny that sin even exists. Um, so we really should make sure we, we give them an understanding of the reality of the reality of sin itself. Um, uh, everybody has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Exactly. That's why you can use the Romans road, right? Uh, Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fall short of, falls short of the glory of God. Um, the provision of a substitute to die for our sin, that's very important substitutionary atonement, which, by the way, again, I go back to this again. There are evangelical churches that are denying this. You're denying the, first of all, you're denying the, rea- the truth of the gospel when you do that. And secondly, to me, what's really bad about that is you're diminishing the work of Christ. That's a, that's, to me, that's almost radical. An example of a. I'm not, I'm not following that. Okay, so here's what happened. So uh, when when we have, we fell into sin, right? Not only Adam and Eve, but all of us are sinners, right? And so as a result of that, we were separated from God uh, because we were then we were then unholy and we were we could not be in the presence of His righteousness. And so God had to solve that problem. And the way He solved that problem is He sent His Son. Jesus came from heaven and He came down to this earth. And he sent his son who was without sin. He was born without sin and he lived his whole life without sin. And then he sent him to the cross as our substitute. In other words, when you look at the stories of the cross, it talks about there were three hours of darkness when he was on the cross. Well, during that three hours of darkness, the sins of the world were laid upon him. And he bore the penalty of those sins for us, right? He bore the penalty of our sins. He was our substitute on the cross. And so basically God said, we have an innocent one here who's willing to take the punishment for all those who are guilty. And that was his son. And then the word propitiation, if we get back to propitiation, what that means is it means it means the idea of satisfied. God was satisfied with what his son had done on the cross. And because he looked at what his son did and he says, I'm I'm satisfied. He has he has suffered the penalty of sin on the cross. Because of that now, by nothing more than faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved. In other words, we could not do anything to get away from the problem of our sin, but Jesus took care of it for us as our substitute. Does that make sense? Past, present, and future. But there are evangelicals that are denying that, which is really diminishing what he did. I mean, that if you think about, so here's the thing, if you think about Jesus on the cross, a lot of people think about the physical torture that he went through. 
that was way less severe than the spiritual torture that he experienced. Because when the sins of the world were laid upon him, it was pure and utter agony. Because for the first time ever, he was separated from the Father and the Spirit, right? There was a horrible thing that happened on the cross. The physical torture was minor. I mean, I would even use Paul's words. That was momentary light affliction compared to what he suffered in terms of the sins of the world. And I think about it all the time. When I, I, I was, you, when, when I walked in, when I walked in to the baggage area and I saw all those people and just wall to wall human beings, the first thing that came to my mind is Jesus died for all of us. Right? And this is just a small room full of people. You know, just imagine the magnitude of what he did on the cross in terms of dying for all of our sins. It's just hard to even fathom. Uh, yeah, that goes back to Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, right? So there had to be a death. And so he suffered the death for us, right? He suffered the death on the cross for us. And so we now can have eternal life and, and not be under condemnation because of him. Does that make sense? He's our substitute. Very important. And the necessity of faith. I mean, that sounds like a simple thing, doesn't it? But the reality of it is you need to include that, that, that faith is required. That's, that is what God requires of us. And the scripture makes it very clear that faith is not a work. What we're doing in our faith is we're trusting in the work of someone else. We're trusting in what Christ has done. But faith is absolutely necessary. <clears throat> yeah, the faith in the person of Christ. Yeah, your faith is not in works. Your faith is not in your own, uh, your own deservedness or value or anything else. The faith, the faith that you have is in Jesus, in the person of Christ himself. That's exactly right. Uh, Zechariah was given illustrations and word pictures to explain spiritual truth. If we look at, this is an interesting passage, by the way, Zechariah 5. Then I lifted up my eyes again and looked and behold, there was a flying scroll and he said to me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. And he said to me, this is the curse that is going forth over the face of the whole land. Surely everyone who steals will be purged away according to the writing on one side. And everyone who swears will be purged away according to the writing on the other side. I will make it go forth, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will enter the house of the thief, the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. And I will spend the night within that house and consume it with timber and stones. Verse 5. Then the angel who was speaking with me went out and said to me, lift up now your eyes and see what is going on. I said, what is it? He said, this is the Epha going forth. Again, he said, this is the, their appearance on all the land. And behold, a lead cover was lifted up. And this is a woman sitting inside the Epha. And he said, this is wickedness. And he threw her down in the middle of the Epha and cast the lead weight on its opening. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming out with the wind in their wings. And they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heavens. I said to the angel who was speaking with me, where are they taking the ephah? And he said to me, to build a temple for her in the land of Shinar. And when it is prepared, she will be set there on her own pedestal. Now, I don't want to teach a lesson about that, but my point is, my point of that passage is there are illustrations. There's things that Zechariah was seeing, and he was then taught about what those things were all about. In your own testimony, you can actually bring that, bring out different. I'm not talking about, you know, illustrations like that necessarily, but the idea of you can paint pictures for people. You can try to, for example, you can try to paint a picture of Christ on the cross. And you can even talk about what I was talking about. Yes, he was going through physical pain. The, the cross was a horrible way to die. But then the true agony, when he cried out, uh, you know, why are you for, forsaking me? Right. 
What's that? Yeah, when he cried out, uh, you know, oh God, oh God, why are you forsaking me? When he cried that on the cross, that's when the sins of the world were being laid upon him, right? He was suffering through that. And you can talk about that and give an illustration, try to paint a picture, if you will, of him on the cross. If you can get, you can even show them a picture of him on the cross and show the puncture in his side and what other things you want to show. But try to help them see it if you need to use pictures for them. Help them understand these things. It's a way you can give them a big, big, better idea uh, of what of what the reality of all this is. Uh, Jesus also used uh, stories to illustrate biblical truth uh, in Luke chapter 8. When a large crowd was coming together and those from various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. He loved to use parables. Uh, the sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and all the birds of the air ate it up. Other seeds fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and it grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. He scroll up. As he said these things, he would call out, he who has an ear... Excuse me, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples began questioning him as to what the parable meant. He said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now this parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. Now, here's what's important. You notice in verse 12, he talks about the, the, that where it's stolen away. It says, so that they will not believe and be saved. Notice what was required for salvation there. Okay, hold on. In 13, the rocky soil, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. That means they believe, right? They did believe. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while, as it says right there, and then in time of temptation, fall away. That's somebody who's saved, but then they fall away from their faith. And then 14, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. So that, again, this is a believer in verse 14, but the worries of life, they've allowed the details of life, I would use, the details of life to suffocate their faith. And they are now uh, getting choked away, and they're not actually bearing any fruit. Verse 15, and the pleasures of life. Notice that, pleasures of life, yeah. But 15, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now, if you notice, the difference between these is there's one who believed, and, and it wasn't, didn't take very long before they, they fell away from the faith. You have another one who believed, and Pleasures, worries, all these things of life got in the way, and, and they're, they're bearing no fruit. And then the last one is one who believes and actually bears fruit. So it's really kind of getting, not only is it talking about salvation, but it's talking about bearing fruit, right? You see both of those in there. But you notice how he used the parable. He described it in terms of the, <clears throat> the sower of the seed. If you can come up in your own personal testimony with ways that you can use descriptions like that, there's nothing wrong with that, right? You can use things like that to describe what 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 your own life is like and so on and so forth if you have those use those because it's beneficial uh, for people to hear it that way illustrations help people see the truth not just hear it and it can make communication of the gospel more effective now i'm not going to try to give you your illustration 
I'm just telling you that if you can come up with illustrations to help people understand these things, then it is actually something that will make, make it more vivid in their mind. Illustrations can do that. All right, some conclusions. And we're going to, this is perfect. We're going to be able to wrap this up today. And then uh, we'll get to our scripture of the week. As I mentioned many times during this, God has called us to be ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And you'll notice there's a switch from we to you. The we is us as believers, right? We believers. And then the we beg you, that's talking to the unbelievers on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And that reconciliation, by the way, is what I was talking about earlier with the substitutionary atonement of Christ. We were separated from God. And the only way we could be reconciled was through Christ. Because God had to send him to die for our sins, and through him, we can be reconciled. Very important. We've also been given the Great Commission, which I read earlier. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 30, I mean, and 20, excuse me. Go therefore, go therefore, as you go, wherever you go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission. That's what uh, Jesus left us with. And it's interesting because in his life, he didn't really talk much about the church, what was going to happen here in the church. But the end of his life, starting with the night before the cross, he began to talk about what was going to happen today, what we, what we are living today. He talked about the coming of the helper. He talked about, you know, the, the different things that would happen, as is that passage in Matthew. He was talking about what was going to come. You know, and so he was getting ready to go to the cross at that time. We should consider ourselves blessed. This is very important. We consider ourselves blessed to be invited to be fellow workers with God and sharing the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I think if you talk to the average believer, witnessing scares them to death. They're nervous about it. They're afraid. They're, they're thinking they're not going to do it right. They have all these ang this anxiety and apprehension about giving the gospel. But the reality is we should look at it as a blessing. It's actually God's invitation. He's Because in, remember, he can accomplish everything he needs to accomplish without us. And so if he wants to, he can spread the gospel throughout the world without any person doing it. He can have donkeys talking, right? He can make rocks talk if he needs to. Uh, but he has given us this invitation to be his fellow workers in sharing the gospel. So we should take it that way as a blessing. We should not look at it as a as a burden. Or something that we don't want to do. What was that? It's a privilege. That's exactly right. It's a privilege and a blessing, and we should view it that way. Therefore, we should be prepared to witness to others at any time. First Peter 3.15, we've seen this before. Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being prepared in regard to an answer for anyone who asks you for an explanation concerning the confident expectation that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect. What confident expectation? I have confidence. That when I die, I'm going to be in the presence of God. I absolutely have confidence. But I also have confidence. What's that? Yeah, First John 5.13. I know. I have confidence that when I die, I'm going to be in the presence of God. I have confidence that when the trumpet sounds, I'm going to get a resurrection body and I'm going to be with him forever. Yeah. A, a point came up here here uh, at our study that, uh, down here that uh, how many times do you talk to someone and you uh, you bring up the idea and you ask them 
if they're a believer and uh, they say, well, I, I think maybe I am, I'm not sure. And they don't really have a concept of whether or not they're truly a believer. And that's not how God really wants us to be. He wants us to be confident. He wants to have a confident expectation. And yeah, he sent Christ to the cross so that we may know. Uh, part of the, when we look at the, when we look at the passage, I'll turn there. When we look at the passage uh, in Hebrews 12, I can't type, I guess. Uh, it says, um, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So part of the joy I believe that Christ had in that is for us to be able to live the abundant life that God has for us. That was part of his joy. He knew he was going to have to go through horror on the cross. But the joy was that each and every one of us as believers were going to be able to have an abundant life, above and beyond anything we could have apart from Christ. And part of that abundant life is that we know and that we have a confident expectation that we're enjoying that blessing of knowing that we're going to be with God. And so we should we should be able to we should be able to have that. And people people, when they see that, when they truly see that in you, they're going to want to know, how how is it that you can be like that? And again, remember where that's coming from is is a function of our faith. And it's our faith in the faithfulness of God. You see what I'm talking about? We actually, our faith is in his faithfulness. In other words, he promised us in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The angels rejoice when they believe. That's exactly right. But here's the point. That's a promise of God, right? Believe in him and you will not be condemned. You will have everlasting life. You'll have eternal life. I trust God. My faith is in him. I trust him. If he said that, I believe it, right? So that's where the faith comes from. Is, is It's based on God's faithfulness. Uh, be sure to follow through when someone does accept Christ. That's what we've been talking about in terms of making sure you don't just, I, I, it's a horrible analogy, but I equate it to a mother who gives birth and just lays the baby next to a dumpster. I mean, if you lead someone to Christ, don't, don't lay them next to the dumpster. You need to make sure you follow through and you help them get to where they need to be so they can be nurtured and they can grow in their faith. And so just don't be like that at all. And that is the end of our study, by the way. So we are finished with our witnessing study. Uh, I'm going to ask the group here as well as back at the church. Uh, any questions? I know all of you haven't been through the whole study necessarily, but uh, any questions about witnessing? I'm going to wait to hear from Jesse here before I go on with our scripture of the week. He hasn't responded yet. That's all right. I don't, I'm not hearing any questions. None here, he says. All right, no questions there. I don't see any questions here. So we're going to go to our scripture of the week. This is what we're going to finish up with. It's Galatians 5, 22 and 23, uh, and I, I do this. I believe it's just something that helps us remember these things. I want us all to say it together, so I'm going to read it slowly so we can all say it together. Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. All right, very important passage. If, even if you stop after the list, which a lot of people do, by the way, even if you stop after the list, look at the things that are listed there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, all of these things, this is actually a list that builds 
from the beginning to the end, and both the beginning and the end are very important. Uh, love, I emphasize that. We have to function in love. That's a fruit of the Spirit. And one of the things that's important is this entire list you see here is listed as fruit, singular. Now, previous to this, this is I've taught this in Galatians. We'll talk about the against such things. There is no law here in just a minute. Uh, but here's what we had previous to this in Galatians 5. The deeds of the flesh are evident, and it goes through that list, immoral, immorality, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. So if it's not on your list, add whatever your favorite thing is. What's, what I wanted to emphasize, though, is this is plural. The deeds of the flesh are evident, and the reason why it's important, this is significant, you may not be engaged in all those things at once. You may only be engaged in one. You may be engaged in some sort of carousing, or you may be engaged in dissensions or disputes or whatever it is. So it's listed as plural because these are all the different things that the flesh can produce, right? All these negative things. But you might only have one or two. But when you get to verse 22 down here, it's the fruit of the Spirit singular. And what that means is very important. What that means is that when we are walking by means of the Spirit, the fruit is producing in us all of those things. It's not a list of separate things. It's a singular thing. When we were walking by means of the Spirit, he produces all of that in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is a, it's a package. It all comes from the Spirit. And by the way, you could even add to that list. He didn't say in things like these, but you could add to that list. Now, I'm going to go through these quickly, quickly here. Love that's listed here is agape love. That's sacrificial integrity love. You may not have heard this sort of thing before, but the idea is there's different kinds of love talked about in the Bible. There's philos love, and that's a compatibility love. It's based on the fact that we have a compatibility with the person that we love. There is um, storge love. That is love for family, right? Our brother, our, our physical, our, our literal earthly family, where we have brothers and sisters and so on. Uh, we have um, Philadelphia love. That's brotherly love. Right. So that's a different thing. It's basically used in the scriptures in the context of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. Brotherly love. Then you have <clears throat> Eros love. I dare say that's not the same. Right. That's sexual love. Uh, and then we have agape love. And agape love is a special kind of love that is manifest in us through the spirit. Uh, and what it is, is it's a, a selfless, integrity based love sacrificial, selfless, integrity-based love. And what it means is we're capable of loving others not based upon their merits. Philos has that compatibility aspect, right? There's things that you have in, in common with that person. Agape love, you may not have anything in common with the person. You may not even like them very much, but you can still love them. And that's a special kind of love that only comes from God. Joy, that is the ability to be happy in any every circumstance. It's not happiness based on circumstances of life. You're happy even when everything's going wrong, right? Even when nothing seems to be going right, you still have this joy in your heart because it's something that comes from God. Peace is interesting because it actually brings into in context a couple of different ideas. Not only our peace with God, right? We've been reconciled with God. And not only our peace with other people, but the inner peace that's described, for example, in Philippians. A peace that surpasses understanding, that we have that peace and calm and contentment in any situation. Patience and kindness. Uh, I should, let me touch patience first. 
Patience is not just simply patience in terms of waiting for something. It means that you can be patient and calm under provocation. Something's going on, right? There's something going on that's, that's irritating, provoking, whatever it is, but you're still very calm and very patient. It's a specific word in the Greek that means you're patient even under provocation. Kindness and goodness go hand in hand. And kindness has to do with a kindness that's not only of the heart, but expressed. It's very important that it means a kindness that's expressed towards others. And then goodness, it brings in the idea of not only a, a kindness in terms of your words or whatever, but a generosity. The goodness brings in the idea of a generosity. You have a generous heart. Uh, and again, both of those have the same kind of a mindset, but they're expressed in different ways. The kindness can be your words or different things, but then the goodness is, has to do with a generosity towards others. Faithfulness, I think, is an interesting one because who among us is faithful apart from God? I'm worthless. I'm not faithful at all. The faithfulness that we have comes from God himself. All of these do, really. Uh, faithfulness is a matter of what God is manifesting in us, that we would be faithful. He's the faithful one, right? Not us. He's faithful even when we are not faithful. So it's faithfulness that he's manifesting in us. Gentleness. Uh, this is very important because gentleness has nothing to do with uh, uh, male or female. Males are supposed to be gentle and kind and good and patient and all those things, right? So gentleness, and that's a quality that's very important. Self-control, again, where does that come from? It comes from God. Self-control. Um, and then when it says, against such things, there is no law. In Galatians, what Paul is dealing with, he's dealing with a lot of things, actually. But one of the things he's dealing with is the churches in Galatia, in the Galatian region, were under assault, really, if you want to think of it that way, from these Judaizers. And what these Judaizers were doing is they were coming to the churches and they were saying, well, it's all well and good that you believe in Jesus. That's good. But you also need to be circumcised, and you also need to follow the things of the law. You need to make sure that you uh, you you uh, well the well all well yeah they were they they were mostly focusing by the way on the circumcision and on the following the feasts the different feasts and so on. So they they had particular things they were emphasizing, but nonetheless they were trying to bring the Mosaic law into what they were doing. And this actually, I, as I taught in Galatians here, this last little comment actually is kind of a snarky comment from, from Paul. Because what he's saying is, you know what, this is not about law. He says, there's no law that prevents this from happening. But he also was going on to try to say, this is not, the list that I gave you here, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's not a, a list of things that's like a prescription for you legalistically follow these things. He was saying, it's not, this is not law I'm giving you. This comes from the spirit. This is not about law. And that's what he's really doing. He's saying, look, there's no law that prevents any of this. There's no law that requires any of this either, right? So he's really making a snarky comment to, uh, about the Judaizers and what they've been suggesting because he's saying, look, th there's no law in this picture, right? Uh, and, and, and there's no law that prevents such things. So he's making a little bit of a snarky comment there. But the reality of it is these things are manifest in us by God when we are walking by means of the spirit, when we're allowing ourselves to be humble, submitted unto him and fixing our eyes on Jesus, and we're walking in the manner that's worthy, God is going to manifest these things in us. And if you want to learn more about this list of things in, uh, in more detail, the Galatians uh, study is up on the website. Go pull it down and, and listen to the lessons, and you'll see I go into more detail as we look at the actual original language words. But this is, this is a picture of what we are supposed to be. This is how we are supposed to be uh, as we walk uh, in, in the way that God would have us to walk. And all of these things are, 
All these are qualities that are exhibited in us as we do that. Uh, any questions here? Any questions back? I'll wait to hear from Jesse if there's any questions back in the church. And otherwise, if not, then we'll go ahead and close in prayer. I got another nun here. Okay, no questions there. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing of being able to talk about witnessing and to wrap up our study on witnessing today. And we thank you so much uh, for this this, this uh, passage here in Galatians that gives us just such a wonderful picture of, of what is uh, what we are to be as Christians, loving, joyful, peace, at peace, uh, patience. All these things that are listed here, all, these are characteristics that we are supposed to have as your children. And we ask that you would help each and every one of us to recognize that you are the one that brings these things about in us as we grow in our faith, as, as the Spirit is the one who's directing us, as we have humbled ourselves and are walking by means of the Spirit. We can't force ourselves to be these things. This is a function that is relying upon you and having you manifest these things in us. And so we ask that you would help us to to be this way as we go, wherever we go, and in the process of that, to be true ambassadors for Christ, telling others about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, what he uh, did for us on the cross and what he does for us every single day. And, uh, Father, we pray that day by day by day, uh, more and more people will be able to see these characteristics in us, and maybe it'll make them curious, and maybe they'll ask questions, and we'll have that opportunity, that open door for witnessing to them. But again, Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness, the way you provide all the things that you do in our lives. And we thank you for more than anything. We thank you for sending your son as our substitute so that we might have eternal life and a, a hope that goes beyond anything anybody could possibly have. Our, the hope that we have of being in heaven with you for all of eternity. Father, we thank you for these, these things in Jesus Christ, most precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Maybe believers rather than unbelievers. And that I mean.